together. Um, and as part of it, when I was in school, we used to do a lot of this. We used to do team teaching. And team teaching was like a real joy. It was more stressful than teaching on your own. Because if you ever know this, actually doing stuff solo is so much easier than doing stuff in team. Do you understand that sometimes? Do you get it? I find it so much easier just to do stuff on my own because I'm a bit of an island and I'll just, you know, don't have to talk to someone else then. I can just do it. Don't have to consult. Don't have to consider. Just do it because I feel that's the way to go. But I always know that part of a team is always better. <laughs> it may not be easier, but it's always better doing something as part of a team. And so I used to do these team teaching lessons and you would, you'd have to prepare a lesson with someone else. You'd have to talk about what you're both going to do. You'd have to share the responsibility. You'd have to try and shut up at certain points so someone else could talk. That was hard. But actually, I always knew it was better teaching than me just doing it on my own. And so we just want to model that in the church. I loved what Andy did this morning. Actually, it's so much better when we as a church do things collectively than just have one person who stands at the front. We don't believe in a place where one priest operates for everyone else that sits in the room. You know, I've been reading the Bible with Monica for a long time. Where are you, Mon? You're up there, aren't you? And Monica, your experience of church life before messed you up a lot, didn't it, sometimes? She's had priests who have said to her before, oh no, you don't really understand. I'll tell it for you. I'll work it out. And we've had to work through some of the, the I won't say a rude word, but you know, the, the crud of some of that stuff that just builds up layers of what it's like to actually say, no, there's a priesthood of all believers. We get to come before God ourselves. We get to know him and encounter him ourselves. And the beauty of doing something in team, where actually you see all of the body built up into its full maturity with Jesus as the head. It's the absolute beauty of the local church. I was doing um, Yoni and Romina's wedding prep the other day. And so we're just chatting. They're getting married in the summer. And there's a few weddings that are going on at the moment, you know. Spot a few of you that are all getting married this year. Exciting times. Um, so I'm sitting with Yoni and Romina. And it just struck me while I was there how much Jesus loves his bride. Oh, man. Jesus loves his bride. He's besotted with her. And we're his bride, the church. He loves his church. And there's no competition in it. I don't have to try and feel like I've got to be a more attractive bride for Jesus. He loves us. We're at the very centre of his affection. And when I see church, when I'm amongst it, and when I see the people of God, just get reminded again, Jesus is so for us. He's so in love with us as his people. And we get to live in the good of that daily. I get to wake up every day in the very centre of God's affection towards me. And I ain't got to strive to get there. And I've got to try and make Tim look more ugly so I take his place. I haven't got to do that. Because I'm in the centre of his affection and he loves his church. And he waits for us. And he sees our beauty, spotless brides coming before him. The local church is a beautiful thing. So we rejoice in the goodness of it. And so this morning we want to talk a bit about our local church. So the way that we're going to do that is... I'm going to start, just point a bit of direction of where we've been heading as a team for a while. Um, then Martin's going to jump up and join us. And Martin's actually going to open the Bible. I said, oh, no, don't worry. I'm not going to do the Bible stuff. You do the Bible bit. Um, no, it's all, all in God's word. We want to ground it all in God's word. So Martin's going to come up and he's going to teach a bit into the Bible. And then Clive's going to lead us into a place of worship and adoration of when you have healthy, functioning church team working collaboratively with one another. What that actually does, not just so that we have a better time, but so that the world around us is changed and transformed. So that people are saved and added and brought into the kingdom of God. And so, um, so that's what we've got. So we've got 10 minute timers. I'm going to put it here. I've already, I, I'm not going to, that's my intro. I'm not adding that to my 10 minutes. 
All right, 10 minutes. I know what I'm doing. I went, I went first, I understand. Martin's already said he's going to have an intro and pause it as well. But I'm going to, so look, here it is. Start, 10 minutes, go. Um, so right, so, so we've had a really healthy functioning eldership team as a church here since I remember. Since I first moved here 20 years ago, I arrived and one of the things that blew me away was the way that the church was led by an eldership team that was robust and loved each other and challenged each other and provoked each other. And we believe in local church in eldership. We believe that the church is led by elders. And actually, one of the things that I find a lot is people say, someone only said it to me the other day, how are you finding the big job? How are you finding leading the church? And actually, my default reaction always in that thing is, man, we as a leadership team, we lead the church as an eldership. I just get the privilege of leading the elders. That's all I do. I can't lead this giant organization, but actually as part of a team of men who love each other and love Jesus and love you, we want to lay our lives down for this church because we love it. Being part of that is an absolute joy. And it's been so well modeled in the life of this church since I moved here 20 years ago. And I've seen it working, but we were in a really, really fragile state two years ago. You know, we'd, we'd basically been dwindled down to an eldership team of two. And when there's one, you realise there's not really an eldership. It's just an elder, and we really don't want that model. And so a couple of years ago, Andy was pretty unwell. Andy had a pituitary tumour in his brain. And I remember sobbing at a staff meeting because I was there and I was thinking, oh, Lord, I'm here. My dear friend Graham's moved to Zim. My friend Jez is now leading the church in Seaford. Andrew's ministering up in London. Steve Blaber's long gone. And it's me and Andy that are here together. And Andy's got a tumour laying in a hospital bed. And I don't know if he's going to survive. I just remember sobbing to the staff team here and saying, I don't know what to do. I feel on my own. I feel stuck. I feel isolated. That is not a healthy team. It was a dangerous, like, and a dangerous place for the church, like a fragile place for the church, because we believe in it and we love it. And praise God for David Gamester who's on his wander at the back. You know, praise God for godly team. Terry Belsey, who I remember just sobbing with her and just talking to her. And I praise God for men and women in this church that just love it and stands alongside it. But I knew that our eldership team needed strengthening. We needed a team that was once again able to flourish and function with each other. So I was able to reach out to good old dog Clive Chernick, who I've known for a long, long time. And I knew he, knew he was around on the scene. And me and David both, both know him pretty well and love him. And I was speaking to John Groves, who came and came as ministered here with us a few times. And, um, and actually started to talk and saying, look, we really need some help. And praise God, you know. And you look at him, just strong, back. with. I noticed, and I love it. I'm so glad that he's here with us again this morning. And just years of being able to minister with each other again and look forward to the future and not just look to the past, but look what God's going to do in us. But I knew that that team needed strengthening. And so we said, right, job number one, we've got to get an eldership team functioning again. So it was like one of our big, we have like little appraisal targets on team here. And I was like, my, my biggest job is to bring some unity back into this church to remind it that we're built on Jesus. He's the very center to preach the gospel with boldness again, to keep doing all they're doing. But we need in the background to be re-strengthening the eldership team. We need to get a team healthy, robust, strong, able to lead into the future again. And so praise God, we were spending time with a whole bunch of people here and a whole bunch of guys that we were just asking questions like, is God calling to you this? Is this something that you feel on your heart that God's asking you to lay your life down for the sake of the church? Is this an extra responsibility that God's calling you into? And there were 
great conversations and we're praying and we're spending time and we're reading, we're opening God's word and talking it through. And praise God, through that process, we were able to add Ben and, and Martin into that eldership team. And praise God, all of a sudden it goes from two to four and you think, I feel stronger again. I feel like actually if, you know, I, I get wiped out by whatever it'll be or, or, or any of us. Actually, it's just that ability to stand shoulder to shoulder, back to back in care and love and prayer and dedicate ourselves to the word of God and remember what it is to teach healthy doctrine and to care for and love the church. And so it's just a joy to start feeling that. And actually, I think, I hope the church has felt the good of that as well because it probably feels it when it's a bit unhealthy and that's the way that bodies work. A little bit of the body gets a bit unhealthy and all of it feels the pain. So actually, if that part of it, and eldership's just one of the roles that is talked about in the life of the local church, and we want to see all of the gifts released into the people of God. We want evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors and the, and the apostolic gift into the life of church. We want to see all of them in all of their fullness. And eldership's one of those gifts that's given and one of those roles that are called into. But if it's not functioning, it's not healthy, everyone feels it. And I think that once it starts to get healthy again, I hope and I pray that we're feeling it as a church. I feel healthier and I feel like this community is so much healthier than it was a couple of years ago. And praise God, Jesus has led us that place. So I'm so grateful for it. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to add Clive into that eldership team as well. So joy of having Clive and Gillian amongst us. And on Wednesday evening, we're going to lay hands on Clive. We're going to welcome him into team as well. And so all of a sudden, the team's grown from two to five. And praise God, that's not the end of it. Because actually, five's great for a room like this, but we're not just interested in a room like this. We want to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want to teach and proclaim who Jesus is. And so actually, we want to continue just developing and raising up elders amongst this church. Maybe some for here, maybe some for there. Maybe some to go, maybe some to be sent out. But actually, we constantly want to be raising up and searching and stirring up people's hearts for leadership in the life of the local church. And then... Based alongside this, we only see in the, in the New Testament, we only see two distinct roles, and Martin's going to touch on this in a minute, two distinct roles that are mentioned explicitly in terms of, I guess, church structure, how they're, how they're seen and they operate in the life of the local church, and that's elders and alongside them, deacons. So you see these two names, and me and Ian have been messaging a bit and talking about Greek words and, you know, dot, 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 we won't, we won't do it now. Um, but we've just been talking about how do they get identified, how do they get seen, what is this deacon, these servants in the life of the church? And so we've always, in theory, had deacons that have operated here and incredible men and women that have served into the life of the church and carried a responsibility alongside us as elders. But sometimes I don't think that when you look at the way the early church identified it, sometimes the process hasn't quite been lined up in the same way that we see it in the scriptures. And so I don't think it's always been done in a way where we've talked about character or when we've asked the church to receive, or when we've asked the church to come and lay on hands. And I think probably where we'd got into a bit of a trap is we'd over-elevated the role of eldership, this servant leadership in the life of the church, and we probably downplayed the role of a deacon, a leading servant in the life of the church, someone who sets examples to the rest and says, come on, I'm going to mobilise acts of service. I'm going to care for the poor amongst this community. I'm going to demonstrate godly character. I'm going, to, I'm going to set an example of what it is to serve and I'm going to draw others in to serve alongside us. And again, this is a room full of servants of the living God, deacons. But we wanted to specifically identify eight of them amongst us. And are any of them here this morning? Can any of them stand up if they're amongst us? You've probably seen an email. It's been on church news. Come on, who's going to? 
Come on, Sal's there. Rich is there. Boss is there. Tolly's probably out already. Sandy's at the back. David's here going across. Adzi's probably already next door. Hey, there you go. An extra one, Adzi. <laughs> but it is, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see godly men and women that just set an example into the life of the church. And these are people of character and gifting that we love and we want to honour them. And so actually in a couple of months' time, we're going to pray for them as well and welcome them into this expanding, growing team because God loves to strengthen the team that we have for all that he's calling us into the future. And so praise God, he's been doing that. He's been at work in the background, creating that strength, that healthy, strong structure that we're into for the future that God's got for us. And actually, again, we don't want to stop because we want to keep recognizing and releasing elders and deacons into the life of this church, again, for all that God's called us to into the future. And so we're grateful for where we're at now, but we're so looking to where God's leading us to in the years to come. Now, this is my last little year, eight minutes 40. Impressive. I've got one minute left. In my last minute, all that I want to say is that in all of this, this is to actually mobilize the church. This is so that it would release all of us. It's not just so that we get to be able to say, great, here's a few names on a page so you know who's the leaders here. It's not the point of it. The point of it is to release and, and call the church into all of its fullness, to see the giftings of God released everywhere. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an ambassador of Christ. <laughs> say it to them. You're an ambassador of Christ. God has a great commission and call for you. I know, some of you are questioning that now. <laughs> but it's true. God has called us to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth in all that we do. And so we long to see that released into the local church. And we believe that actually maintaining to biblical principles, trusting God in the way that he sets and establishes his people is going to cause our church to flourish into the years of the future. And I just stand here and I say again, thank you, Jesus, for where we're at. Thank you for Jesus, for what you've done amongst us. Thank you for your leadership and love for this church. It's an absolute joy to serve as part of it. Thank you for these, these brothers and sisters that you've put around me. I love it, Lord God, and I pray for all that you long to do in us into the future. Jesus, you are so worthy of praise. We love Love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on then, Coops. That was nine seconds over. as an elder in January and I always have a restless night's sleep before I preach, like it's always really restless. I had this really vivid dream last night where I was standing at the back next to the camera where I ended up actually a minute ago standing at the back next to the camera and uh, Don Smith who was the founder, founding elder of this church moved across 34 years ago from Hastings with some people that are still here now um, and Don planted the church here from Hastings. I had this really vivid dream last night where I was standing at the back about to do this 10 minutes and Don was here and Don caught me and just said, just to let you know, I'm here today. It's like, <laughs> cool. So, and then I woke up, it's like, great. And uh, off I go. So, he's not here, I don't think. So, that's not a bad thing today. So, um, 
I'm going to aim to... Sorry? <laughs> there he is. Um, he's always around. Um, I'm really going to aim for 10 minutes. When do you want me to start it? Not yet. Don't start yet. I've got one intro. I'm really going to aim for 10 minutes. But what I'm going to speak on is the role of men and women in leadership at King's, which is probably longer than a 10-minute discussion. It definitely is. Um, so just as an intro to that before Ollie starts the timer, on the 12th of June, Sarah, if, uh, if you can put the first slide up, thanks, Sarah. On the 12th of June, we're actually going to have a proper deep dive into all the challenging verses and back and forth ideas and, you know, really unpack the whole, well, how do men and women function biblically? How do men and, fun uh, and women function biblically in leadership? What exactly does kings believe, the Bible says? And almost most importantly, why have we landed there? Because it's easy to say, well, we think this, we think that, we think that, based on these verses. But actually, how have we landed? Why have we landed where we have? And to really try and explain it and discuss it and debate it as well. Um, so once the invite for that afternoon goes out, feel free to email in any questions that you have as difficult or as easy as you want them to be, to answer. Um, but we really want to kind of unpack, if we aim to let the Bible speak for itself, what does it say about itself? Because there's loads of amazing commentaries, obviously, but really the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So when you look at this tricky passage and say, well, what does the Bible say about this tricky passage then? And let's try and figure out what it says about itself and how we should interpret it and how we should implement it. So lots of great commentaries, but we're really going to try and dig into this and let it speak for itself and explain why we've landed where we have. You're desperate to start that, aren't you? So today is going to be very, very swift headlines, two headlines, really. Um, and, and we'll figure out the rest of it on the 12th of June in the afternoon. I'm going to try and answer that question in the next 10 minutes. Are we trying to have our cake and eat it? Because there are verses, and I'm going to go through some verses from 1 Timothy in a minute, which it looks like we do what the first bit of 1 Timothy says, and it looks like we actually don't do the next bit that 1 Timothy 3 says. And I'm going to try and answer that question of, are we actually doing what 1 Timothy 3 says, or are we trying to do our own version of it? And I've got eight minutes left to try and get there. Oh, was it? Good. Well, that's good. So, as a preamble intro into that, you'll see from that slide, there's two words, complementarian and egalitarian. So if you can put the next slide up. Thanks, Sarah. So the complementarian viewpoint, which was a word, I think, coined by John Piper in the late 80s, complementarian, which is men and women are... Absolutely equal in value, but distinct in role. And then the egalitarian viewpoint, men and women are equal in value and therefore should also be equal in role. And those are the two big discussions around it all. But those are the two viewpoints. And I'm going to explain where we are, very briefly, where we are as a church and just one of the ways that we interpret some of these scriptures. So, uh, if you can move on again, Sarah, thanks. So again, very swiftly, and this is not a scientific, as you'll see, not a scientific scale, it's just if we take these as two massive areas of discussion, on one side, we'd have people like Linda Belleville, Craig Keener, and N.T. Wright, who would be 
down the egalitarian route, specifically that men and women can have equal roles. Any role can be filled by a man or a woman because we're all equal. And then at the other end of the scale, and it is a sliding scale of hard egalitarian across to hard complementarian, and again, that's something I can't get into today because any rabbit hole I go down is going to be hours rather than seconds. But basically, a big question, and someone actually asked me this the other day, a couple of days ago, and uh, met up with someone, and they said, how is it that N.T. Wright, who is brilliant and a fantastic Bible scholar and loves God and loves the Bible and loves the church, how can N.T. Wright and John Piper be reading the same Bible and commenting on the same Bible and are both brilliant theologians, how is it possible that they think the opposite to each other? How are they reading the Bible and getting to the opposite place? And it's a huge question and far longer than 10 minutes. Um, But just to say, we'll try and unpack some of that as well on June the 12th, but our interpretation of Scripture here, if you can go on to the next one, Sarah, please. Our interpretation of Scripture here, as Ollie's already alluded to, is at kings, the elders are men, and our study and interpretation of Scripture, when you let the Bible speak for itself, we hold the view that eldership is a role that God has asked men to do. Um, which immediately leads to lots of questions. And I'm aware that there's, you know, in God's um, amazing sense of humour, one of the first things I was told this morning was, hey, it's going to be great this morning. There's loads of people here from other churches and there's loads of people here from other countries. I'm like, brilliant, great. Well, I doubt I'll offend anyone then if there's like massive cross-section of the church here. But here we are. Um, some of the problems or some of the questions that that statement raises are these. So if you can go through, please, Sarah. So the egalitarian view is that elders and overseers can be women, okay? Based on some of these biblical passages. Genesis 2, in fact, Genesis 1 and then into Genesis 2, says that Adam and Eve ruled together, and therefore, but surely Genesis 3, the fall, that's where men and women stop ruling together, and surely we can then just say, well, we should just go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and rule together. Which, and these are all very, very fair questions for a egalitarian viewpoint. And again, some we're going to hope to delve into. Next thing is Deborah was one of the judges of Israel. So if Deborah's a judge, surely Deborah could be an elder in the New Testament church. Good question. There are women prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Again, these all lead to the same... <laughs> So let's discuss this. Nympha and Lydia may have been overseers of New Testament churches. I think that one's going to be easier to answer when we get there you know, on the 12th of June, but I'm not even going to vaguely leave myself down any rabbit hole today. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. Uh, Priscilla taught theology to Apollos. And again, when, when you read challenging verses about women teaching and so on, well, Priscilla taught Apollos. Um, junior was probably a woman. There is a complementarian uh, viewpoint that junior, actually it wasn't junior, it was junius, and junius would have been a man, and therefore problem solved for complementarians. I, I think, personally, I haven't talked to Andy or Clive or Ben or Ollie about this, I think ju- junior was a woman, personally. Um, 
And there's an egalitarian viewpoint that Junior may have been an apostle. And if Junior was an apostle and a woman, surely Junior could be an elder. Um, and then the last thing there, which is a huge thing at the bottom there, some of the verses seem to contradict each other, which they do. They seem to contradict each other. You read through 1 Corinthians, some of 1 Corinthians looks like it contradicts itself. And again, unpacking that and figuring out what the Bible says about itself is a huge thing that we need to do. So, that's kind of just an intro of elders are men at this church. Um, but there's very, 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 very good questions to be asked, well, why then, based on this and many more things. And actually, I wanted to say that, and I know there are people that would hold an egalitarian viewpoint here because I've got friends that hold an egalitarian viewpoint. And I just wanted to say that if you're a member of the church here and actually you don't hold the view that the complementarian view that men should be elders, I just want to say thank you, really. And actually, it's a cost for you to be here and want to be in a church that doesn't have women as elders. And it's a cost for you that isn't a cost for me. I mean, I'm, I'm in, and I don't mean this, I hope this comes across right. I know I'm in the most privileged position standing here because I'm a man and I'm an elder. And it's easy for me to say these things. Like, it's easier for me to say this than it is for anyone that men should be elders. But I know that it's a cost for people that don't agree with that view, but also want to be part of the church here. And it, doesn't, it really doesn't go unnoticed at all. Um, so let me just explain one problematic passage. Well, have I got time? You've got about two and a half minutes. <laughs> Simple. Right. 1 Timothy 3. Very simple little passage to explain in two minutes. Um, so, 1 Timothy 3 from the ESV. This is about elders. Qualifications for overseers, overseer and elder. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's one of the passages that we teach about qualifications for eldership. Um, shortly before I became an elder, I was appointed as an elder... The verse that, for me, was the one that really kept me awake at night was really the one from Hebrews, which is that actually elders are going to be the ones held to account before God as to how they shepherd the church. And all the stuff there should be true as character, but actually, if God calls a man to be an elder of a church, it should come with a huge weight attached to it that I know one day I've got to stand up before God and give account for how I did this. So it's, you know, I wanted, wanted you all to know that we take that very, very seriously. Now, the next bit looks like we don't do what it says. Let me just read this. So same, same passage, same uh, chapter, 
but from verse 8. This is qualifications for deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I've written down some Greek stuff to explain. I'm not going to do that now. You'll be pleased to know. Um, suffice to say, verse 11 there, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Looks like we just ignore that. And Ollie's just got the deacons to stand up. And some of them are men and some of them are women. And it looks like we just go, oops, that's tricky. Let's just ignore that. And here we go. That's not true. <laughs> Um, it would be an uh, actually I didn't explain a little tiny bit of Greek but I'm not going to do the Greek words um, the possessive adjective there their wives probably wouldn't have been in the original writing and wives and women can be the same word literally and there's a lot of translations I've deliberately used ESV because it's problematic um, or, or challenging rather there's a lot of translations that say women, not wives. There's a lot of translations that say the women and not their wives. There's some translations that say wives and not their wives. But basically, it would be very odd of Paul, who wrote this letter, to put a qualification necessary for the wife of a deacon that isn't part of the necessary qualification for eldership. There's no mention of elders' wives in the first part of that passage. There's no reason there should be mention of deacons' wives if there's not qualifications needed for elders' wives. It, just, it doesn't balance up at all. Actually, if this is the right way of reading it, also adds more weight to the first part of elders being men because then deacons, men and women in, in this passage. And um, the word likewise is one of the most important words in this passage. So... What Paul is saying when he says deacons likewise must be dignified is beginning a new category. So it's elders, qualifications for elders, and deacons likewise, new category, deacons. And then the next part, wives likewise, is a new category again, not deacons, but women deacons. And these must be the requirements of a female deacon. Must be dignified, not slandered, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So it's, it, it, the Bible leads itself through really explaining there's three versions of this that Paul's saying. Not three versions, there's three parts to it. One, elders. Two, male deacons. Three, female deacons. And it isn't just their wives. Let's pretend it doesn't say that. So those are kind of the main... Let me just check to make sure I haven't missed anything important. I know I'm way over time. Sorry, Clive. Okay. When I, was, when I was preparing this, <laughs> everything that I wrote down was like, well, if I say that, it's going to be another 15 minutes. If I say that, it's going to be another 45 minutes. Like, um, thanks. Finally, just one final thing just to mention. Um, Romans 16, if you could put that up, Sarah, from the ESV. Romans 16, 
It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancraei, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So when Paul says that, um, and I've deliberately used ESV there because a lot of translations say, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Cancraei, which again, great, let's use that one. That's easier. Most translations say deacon, not servant. The word diaconus is servant. But it's servant, it can be servant, servant, it can be servant, deacon. So for example, Dave Thorpe's there, Andy Thorpe's there, Dave's Andy's dad, so Dave's Andy's elder, Andy's an elder of the church, so Andy's Dave's elder. So the equivocation of that is different thing. Dave and Andy, both each other's elders in different ways. Um, <laughs> it's pretty difficult to do in 13 minutes, which is why I've failed. Um, so, does that mean a servant of the church or a deacon of the church at Cancraei, basically? Was Phoebe a deacon of the church with an office? For lots of reasons, I would say yes. Um, it looks like she actually holds an office at the church of Cancraei. It isn't just a servant, or it isn't only a servant of the church. Servant of the church here. She's got a role here at Cancraei to do this in this church. She holds the office of deacon. Also, and this poses, this poses hard complementarians and problems. Okay? Um, so if Phoebe was the one that delivered the letter to the Romans, then she was trusted by Paul to deliver the letter to the Romans, which is a pretty big responsibility. If she delivered the letter to the Romans, she quite possibly read it as well, so would have been the first person to ever read the letter to the Romans. And if she was the first person that read the letter publicly, and if you ever read Romans, if you're the first people ever on earth to hear the book of Romans, if someone said, got any questions? Probably you're going to have a few questions. Possibly, and this is where I won't go down this rabbit hole, but possibly Phoebe would have had to answer questions based on what did Paul mean? Possibly. I won't go down there today. But basically our interpretation of Phoebe in Romans 16 is that she was a servant who held an office at the church of Cancraei, a deacon of the church who served in a leadership capacity and her responsibility was to deliver the letter and we'll get into the rest of it next time. But I know I'm way over, I'm sorry. But um, in a nutshell, <laughs> really in a nutshell, we have and this has been a rabbit hole I've really enjoyed going down actually for probably about eight months. And I've disagreed with myself and I've found myself challenged by going, I disagree with John Piper and N.T. Wright and how can that be possible? Um, I think when we do study what does the Bible say about itself and really get into the challenging verses, I hope that our viewpoint and our position here makes sense because... What we're not trying to do is change anyone's opinion. Oh yeah, great, now I agree with you. That's not the point. The point is that hopefully we get to a place, if, if needs be, we get to a place where we can say, I don't agree, but that's fine. And we can just move on together and all be fine. It isn't, it isn't about lording authority over anyone or forcing anyone to agree. It's just we want to explain exactly why we've landed here and then build the church together.
basically. Which actually leads me in, where's Clive? Which leads me into the nicest part of this section, this next section. This is nice theory and discussion and analysis and debate. Clive's going to bring the landing, which is really, and how does it build the church then? So, over to you. Two minutes. <laughs> Sorry, two minutes. Do I? Sw- oh, I don't need to switch off, off mute. Right. Okay. Um, how are you doing? I know a little Greek too. You know the famous joke. His name's Stavros, and he's got a great little kebab shop down the corner of the street. So, no, brilliant. Thank you, Martin. That's fantastic. We're all muttering words like diakonai, diakonitos, diako. Anyway, we're we're into our Greek at the moment. So what I want to do is just bring you to Acts chapter 6. Sarah, have you got that? Oh, well done. So let's bring it into how it practically works out here in King's Church, okay? So um, let's have a quick look at that. So in the first Acts chapter 6, that looks like Acts chapter 1 to me. But I could be wrong. It looks remarkably like Acts chapter 1. That's all right. right. I've got a very big Bible here. I can read it to you. Is this the ESV? Yep, okay. So let me just find you Acts chapter 6. So this is when the deacons are being appointed, or rather servants are being appointed, because the apostles cannot possibly uh, look after thousands and thousands of people who are flooding into the church in the early days uh, from Jerusalem onwards. So this is uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So I'll just keep reading, if it, whether it comes up or not, it doesn't matter. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose a whole load of Greek names, which is very clever, because yes, the the Greek widows were getting a poor deal, so they chose Greeks to sort it out. Smart move, guys. So, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They set these before the the, the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on. Here's the beautiful bit that we're going to come into land on today. And the word of God, because of deacons being instituted in the church, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And here's the most amazing thing of all. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, priests who were serving in the temple... Good, godly Jewish men saw a completely different type of leadership. They saw servant leadership and they were blown away and they left their Judaism and became part of this wacky, crazy cult that worshipped a crucified God. It was so impressive what they saw in terms of humility and servant leadership, they left the temple and joined this sect. Isn't that amazing? That, that breaks people's hearts when they see humility. You're not serving out of pride, my office. And so everything's not working out very smoothly in the church at this point. There are ethnic issues to sort out. 
And um, that this, as I just said now, this isn't the primary problem of the 12 to divert themselves to deal with. If they did that, the church would never have grown. It's not their primary role. That's to preach and teach Jesus. So they weren't able to minister to every individual in need. The apostles couldn't be everywhere at once. And, and they couldn't get bogged down in detail. Now You see why we're going this way with kings. We've got a full, full house here today. And there's hundred and something people in a room nearby and we want to grow. Therefore, uh, we, if there's a healthy problem of growth, we're going to need to provide qualified people to solve it so that those who are called in their particular ministry of the prayer and the word get on and do it. And you can always tell when a church leadership is deeply in the word in prayer and in preaching Jesus. It just, it just feels that security. You feel that sense of you're doing what you should be doing. And we feel the benefit and the blessing of that. And what I love about Acts chapter 6 is this, that the apostles don't hold on to power themselves. Isn't that beautiful? They don't give any hint that this practical work of serving at tables is in any way inferior to their pastoral ministry. That's a bit what Ollie's been hinting at at the start about actually we've all got work to do. So God calls different people to different ministry, but God calls all his people to ministry. So this isn't about elders and deacons and the also-rans. This is about sorting stuff out in those two offices that are listed in the New Testament so that everything works well, so that the saints are equipped for ministry. That's you. Just because I'm standing here, it's just because God's called me to this particular role, but I'm just one of, I'm one of the flock, just as the elders and the deacons are. And so this, uh, neither ministry is superior to the other, and actually both require spiritual people, elders and deacons and flock. Everyone's got to be spiritual. Everyone's got to be full of the Holy Spirit, like Stephen. And so this is all service or ministry. This is back to the Greek again. Diakonia is a generic word for service. We've been working through this book, Deacons, and there's a terrific way of playing with the word servant. So you may recognize this. The greatest of among you shall be your deacon. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all. If anyone deacons me... He must follow me, and where I am, there will my deacon also be. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honour him. That's you, and that's me. And of course, the ultimate deacon, as this book says, was the Lord Jesus himself. The word of God, the word of God is growing. What happens when deacons are established in the church? Three amazing things, and I'll stop there. One, the word of God grows. So we're doing this so that the message of the glory of Jesus and his love will go to the four corners of the borough. So the message spreads successfully because deacons are instituted. Isn't that brilliant? So that the elders are released to do what they should be doing and the deacons are wonderful, practical servants who serve, serve the leadership. You know, the West Wing is quoted in this book, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And the deacons serve at the pleasure of the eldership. Once we all get that relational humility right, there ain't nothing we can't do. And you will feel that. You will feel it right through to the back row. 
that humility in service. The second thing is that the number of disciples multiplies, but it multiplies greatly. Man, what are we going to do if it multiplies greatly? We've got a fantastic, healthy challenge. Many are coming to faith at this point because deacons were being established in the church. There's a, all authority will corrupt you unless you delegate it. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, as you know. So if you hold on to this, you will spoil it. And the third thing that I find so astonishing, what I just said earlier, is that a great crowd of priests become obedient to the faith. No wonder that must have caused such alarm to the Jewish leaders that the priests who worked in the temple um, would leave the faith of Judaism and go into Christianity. And so this act of delegation was very, very successful, all because deacons were appointed. And then, if you read on, I haven't got time for this, just as Martin longed to go down those rabbit holes, I thought I was reading Alice in Wonderland as he was speaking. We are going down many rabbit holes. But actually, because of that, Stephen is released. He's, he's, a, he's an amazingly godly man. Stephen is a deacon, but he becomes the first martyr. And then from Stephen, you get Philip, who has a multifaceted ministry as God moves him from place to place. So the ministry of the apostles and the church is energized wonderfully because of deacons. And so I'll say this a little bit critical. So many elders and pastors, instead of concentrating on the ministry of preaching the Bible and the gospel and praying and pastoring, They become overwhelmed with administration in some shape or form. And sometimes it's the elders' own fault because they want to hold things too tightly. And sometimes it's the people's fault because they want him as a general dog's body. It won't work. God calls different men and women into different ministries. For both reasons, the church is inhibited in its growth into maturity. If someone holds it too tightly or if you become a general dog's body. That won't work. It won't work. And so now, God is at work through the effect of appointing deacons. And now, in Acts, as we're going to go on into the future after, uh, after, um, after this discussion and this thinking about elders and deacons, we're going to go into Acts. Neither humans or demons can stand in the way of the church. The apostles detect the devil's schemes to cause dissent and resentment and murmuring in the church. Hey, you're getting a better deal than I'm getting in this church. This new community is not snuffed out in its infancy. And now we've been given increase here by God's grace. And we can avoid the perils of success. And we can diligently apply New Testament principles such as appointing deacons who are of good reputation, well-respected, and full of the Holy Spirit. And this appointing and the working of these two offices will keep the church strong and will maintain a steady pattern of growth. But, and I just want to say this straight, it's all about us. This is so that the saints are equipped for the work of ministry. That means you, 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 you. It's only so that we will all grow together into maturity in service and in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's not about the elders. It's not about the deacons. It's about the church. It's about you and me. Isn't that exciting? So we're actually mobilizing. We're gearing up. 
This is a thing being put in place so that the whole church becomes more effective. That is exciting. What will God do as we put these building blocks in place, as we do the right appointments, and as we work together? I think we should worship. I notice the time. Hey, how long did I go for? How long? Pray for you. How long, how long was I, Ollie? You were... Uh, I forgot to start it. Oh, could have gone on. Shall I go on? No, no. Shall I just pray? All right. Okay, so I've got the, the great um, privilege of uh, coming back into this church as a leader, becoming an elder on Wednesday. Dave Holden's coming on Wednesday. It's a fantastic date, May the 4th. B. <laughs> Live long and prosper. And um, so I, I'm really... I'm really excited. I mean, what a great date for me to be prayed for for eldership. Ollie, it was that you? It was genius. Thank you. Okay, yeah. I'll bring a lightsaber. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's. Sorry? Arise, Sir Clive. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, so, so deacons, one and all, shall we pray? Shall we stand together? Come on. Let's make our move. You're standing to say, to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be your deacon too, Lord. I might not have what Boss has got and Tolu. I might have what Sally's got, but I've got my own sphere of ministry. Amen? Amen. Come on. Can I say it louder? Amen? Amen? Come on. For serving the Lord Jesus, who will one day, he's longing, he's, he's longing to say to you when you arrive in heaven, well done. Dave and Fran Mitchell, loyal servants of God, well done. That's not because you're going to arrive in heaven soon, it's right. <laughs> well done. He's, he's, we think, oh, is he ever going to say that? He's longing to say that to you because he loves you and sees your acts of service done in the secrecy of giving and helping when no one else sees. Lord Jesus, it's for you because we saw you lay down your life for us. Oh, the... The, the extraordinary fight in Gethsemane when you looked into the immediate future and saw the suffering you go through but you held us in your heart and you went to the cross and Lord Jesus in this solemn moment but in this very joyful moment of building the church come Lord and invade us all the more by your Holy Spirit and fill this church with new stories, great acts of kindness and self-sacrifice by the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the head of this body and we worship you, the ultimate servant, King. And so energise us all, Lord. Keep talking to us individually about our own ministry. Keep this church in unity and harmony and love, sacrificial love, forgiving one another, forbearing with one another, showing unlimited patience with one another, just as you did with us. Let that spirit be upon us when people walk in here and they say, man, what have you got here? How did you do it? It's because we read our word and we were obedient to it, Lord. So thank you for today. And I pray you keep it planted in our hearts as we move on together as a church. In Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.